Bible and we make it so sterile. It's like, no, 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 no. They were scared. There's an, this is not normal. You're like, well, this is first century and stuff and they wore robes and stuff. Um, this is not normal. This is different. They hadn't had a night like this before. And suddenly there's a great host of angels and they're saying in verse 44, glory to God in the highest, in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Jump down to verse 20. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Verse 28, and Simeon then, Simeon, who he was, this is when Jesus was being presented at the temple um, uh, on the eighth day of his life. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, now listen, stop for just a minute. Again, sometimes we sterilize the Bible. Simeon is an old man. He is a priest. He's a man of God who has been praying, expecting that God would maybe in his lifetime, after being silent for 400 years, do something that is amazing, that he would send the Messiah. Picture this old man faithfully serving God, taking Jesus, this infant child, in his arms. Did he hold him like this? Did he hold him in his arms? And he looked in his arms and he said, Sovereign Lord, he's holding the infant Jesus, speaking to God. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Isn't that a powerful, powerful verse? It's wonderful. Luke's point in this whole thing is there was such joy at the birth of Jesus. Now, there's a reality that happens. Everybody's happy at the birth of Jesus. I mean, you don't really look at a baby and go, I'm not really that happy about that baby. <laughs> everybody, everybody starts, everybody forgets how to, how to speak around a baby. <laughs> Babies make you dumb. And you're just like, da, 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 da. Babies, everybody's happy. But then what happens? We grow up. And life happens. My point is, we sometimes have Jesus frozen as a baby. He was only a baby for a short time. Life happens. And Luke tells the whole story. And as you weave in and out of the, of the gospel of Luke, you come now to the, to the place where Luke is going to say, now, I want you to know something about Jesus. Jesus told some stories when he grew up and he was doing ministry. And one of the things he's told us is what happens in heaven, that there is actually joy in heaven. And in chapter 15, if you jump to chapter 15, he says, I want to tell you about three stories that Jesus told, three parables, and he, and he tells them about the first parable of losing a sheep. And when he gets to the end of the story, he says, now, the story is basically a guy has 100 sheep, but one of them is missing. So he secure, the shepherd securely holds 99 and safely in the pen, and he goes out and he finds the one. And when he finds that one sheep, he's overjoyed. And he calls all of his neighbors together and says, hey, come on, we're going to have a party together because I had lost a sheep, but I found the sheep, and now we're going to celebrate together. And in verse 7, Jesus said this. Luke said, I want you to know what Jesus said. He said, I tell you that in the same way, 
there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Watch. Jesus knows what happens in heaven because Jesus was in heaven. That's where that's his home. When he came, Jesus goes, how am I going to tell people about how, how much celebration happens? I got it. People are generally happy when they've lost something and they find it again. He said, you know what? There's more rejoicing than that in heaven. I was doing a seminar last week in uh, Texas, and I was standing at some um, uh, folks' house, and they, they, they were constantly losing their keys. Do you guys lose stuff all the time? Well, maybe not all the time. You know, point to whoever loses stuff. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? I know. It's him. But he, he said, uh, the, the husband in the house says, hey, I bet I'm going to open this door, and those, my car keys aren't going to be there. Pam, his, his wife, said, well, let me tell you something about him. Pastor Dan said he's always losing his stuff and said we had to go. He was losing, losing keys all the time, and it's, it's bad when you lose your keys. You're like, oh, well, you're tearing stuff up and wasting time. They finally got for those little, what do you call them, T tiles. How many of you have to have a tile to keep up with stuff? You know what a tile is? A tile you couldn't, oh, I'm about to educate y'all. Bring you up into the t t t today. A tile you can put on your keys or you can connect to something, and then all you got to do is get on your phone. You can, you can, you know, beep it, or you walk around. You can just, it just, beep, beep, there it is. <laughs> and, and the husband says that means if, if you have to use that and you can find them, it means they weren't lost. I said, well, there's, that's kind of a point, but not really a point. And they, they were so happy when he opened the door, and he goes, ah, there they are. But then he lost something else, and she goes, she just rolled her eyes and just pushed it, and you hear this beeping going off in the other room, and he was so happy. Jesus is like, y'all are so happy when you lose stuff, and you find it. You're so happy. There's that kind of joy, but more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. What he's not saying is that God does not care about the 99. Oh, God absolutely loves the 99. He just says, and he loves the one. We want to keep the 99 and go after the one. And then he says, uh, gives a parable of a lost coin, a woman who lost a coin, and he says, uh, she finds it, she calls her families and friends together, and she says, rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. And this is not just losing a coin, this is not just, uh, just some raggedy old coin, this is her, this is what she had to move into her, it was in her inheritance. She, it had to do with her marriage, her life. I don't have time to go into all the details, but she was happy when she found it. Now, some of us are like a coin. I don't get it. You'll see a, you'll see a penny or a nickel laying on the sidewalk or on a pavement. And you'll just like, you'll just walk right over like, I don't even know what that is. But my, but my grand, grandmother, my wife's grandmother, Mama Neva, she would always stop. She would stoop down and she would pick up a penny and she would look at us and she would say, now, that's the start of a dollar. Y'all drop all the coins you want. I'll be picking them up. He says, she found the coins. She called everybody together and said, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. And then Jesus, he, Jesus said this, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing. Read it carefully in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, I don't, I'm not trying to make a theological statement here, but I'm telling you, I think what he's telling us is that it's, that it's God who is doing the celebration. It's what he says. It's in the presence of the angels. You don't have to believe it. It's okay to be wrong. <laughs> no, I, I, all my life I've grown up, we talk about how the angels are so happy, and I'm like, God's the one that lost them. He's the one that said, I've sent my son to die for him, and the celebration is in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Exciting, right? 
And then he goes on and he tells a story about the prodigal son. And when the prodigal son came home, he says down in verse 20, so he got up and he went back to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him. He kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put the ring on his finger and the sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate because this son of mine who was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. In other words, Luke is saying, if you want to talk about joy, we also need to talk about when, how Jesus described what happens in heaven. There's also joy in heaven. There's another verse now. Let's jump over to chapter 19 and verse 37. This is about the ministry of Jesus. When he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to uh, joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Luke says, now people are even rejoicing because they're looking at this rabbi and they say, look at all these miracles he's doing. This is amazing. Now go to chapter 24. In chapter 24, one of the things that, that came out as the, um, as the men and I were talking about how to teach through these um, messages that we're talking about. One of the things that really caught my imagination was in chapter 24, when Luke stops, this is after Jesus was raised from the dead, all the emotions are in play here because you have the disciples filled with joy, filled with amazement, they're filled with some doubt, they, they don't know if they're seeing what they're, like, is this Jesus, is it not Jesus? And right in the middle, Jesus said, uh, he's trying to get them to focus, and Jesus said, do you have any fish for me to eat? you have any boiled fish? And they gave him fish. And Jesus is trying to get them to understand what the, that, that everything that's happening, that he did die, he is alive, that it all was based on the scripture. It's what the Bible said. In the middle, Luke says in verse 45, he stops, he interrupts Jesus' thought, and Luke says, I need to let, tell you guys what's going on here. He said, then Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Watch. You have the birth of Christ and all the joy. You've got all the ministry of Christ. You've got all the teachings of Christ about how God feels about us. But then you come all the, and all of this life happens. And you come to the end. And what you find in the end is joy is still present. But Luke had to come to a place where he said, it's only now that they got it. It's only now that they got their minds wrapped around, oh, so when you said you were going to be killed and then raised on the third day, what you meant was you were going to be killed and then raised on the third day. I don't even mean that to be sarcastic. It's because, it's because they, they thought they knew what Jesus was saying, but to get their mind around it was life had happened to them. And they have all the opposition in life. And it's, it's well, if, if Jesus is the son of God, why don't, why, doesn't all, why, don't all, why don't all the Jews believe in him? Why don't they all follow him? It's all the heartache and, the, and it's just getting their minds around. But they, but they killed him. And, and I get that God is the God of life, but people don't just come right back to life three days later. In the end, Luke said, and then he explained to them what the Bible meant. So I've noticed in my life that that's the case for most of us, right? 
I've noticed that I need help often understanding the Bible, that sometimes I can actually be biased so that when I read it, I almost dismiss the power of a scripture until somebody reads it a different way or says it a different way or, um, but, but life is, flies at you and then you get to reassess. I hope that today is one of those times for you where you're able to reassess kind of how you think about joy. I was driving down the Florida Turnpike, which is an exciting thing because most people on the Turnpike are possessed. Now, I, I, I'm one of them, but I'm one of them. And so I'm driving at 70 plus my 10%. I give 10%, I take 10%. That's how, we, that's how it works. You understand? Give 10, I take 10. But I'm driving down the, the right-hand lane about 75-ish. You understand? Okay, th thank you. Like, amen. We all got the same sin. <laughs> so driving down, and about uh, 10 car lengths in front of me, there's a, there's a pickup pulling a flatbed trailer that's got large uh, ceramic tile on it, just sitting on it. And as they're going down the, uh, the uh, turnpike, I watch, and it's almost like I'm watching a movie in front of me, only it's not a movie because there's traffic all over the place. I watch the, the wind come under the tile and begin to pick up some of the tile, and I thought, that is not, that's not happening. The tile begins to lift off of the, um, off the trailer. They're moving at 75 plus miles an hour this way, so you got the wind coming this way. When the wind finally picks it up, the tile gets above where the draft is coming over the front of the pickup. And when it does, it picks the tile up and one after another flies just as it would rise above there. It would rise up and it would flip back this way, but it's still moving that way. It just looks like it's coming this way because I'm going towards the tile. And they would hit the pavement and explode. You ever seen the movie uh, like Star Trek or you played a little video game where they go into warp speed and when they do, you see all these stars coming at you? Okay, only these are tile fragments. So I've got these tile fragments and I can see, I literally, I flinch like this thinking they're gonna, it's gonna shatter the windshield. I mean, it, they, and it is all, it's raining tile all the way around me. And I, and I just think, just, get, just hold the lane. Don't, don't go right or left. You have too many vehicles around you. Just keep holding the lane. I don't even think the guy ever knew he lost those, those tile on there. You know how people, you know how things happen in life and you think somebody actually is doing it to you? I actually re have realized in life sometimes people don't realize what, that, that, that they're having the impact on you that you think they think they're having on you. They don't. They just got fragments flying out of their life. And you're like, you're messing my life up. I say change lanes. Change lanes. They don't know what's happening. So this happens, and all the damage to my truck, these things hitting the truck and exploding, and every time the tiles flipped, it was just, it was just like a light show, except it wasn't something you'd want to be in. I'm flying through it. When I was all done, I thought, did that just, I got to, he exits onto another toll road because I was thinking, I was thinking I should catch him and, and convert him before I killed him. You understand? <laughs> But I, no, I thought we at least get, get, you understand that was figurative, LOL. Just kidding. So, but I thought I'm going to, but I, but it didn't. Everything happened so quickly. Well, later that day, I thought, you know what? I'm going to put that aside. I was talking with my wife and I said, I explained what happened. She said, what'd you do about it? I said, well, I didn't do anything about it. Well, what am I supposed to do? So she goes, you ever, do you call the insurance company? I, I, it had not dawned on me to call the insurance company. I thought, well. 
I knew she was brilliant, but in that moment, and I said, great. So I called the insurance company. They said, yeah, file a claim. And I said, well, I don't know the guy's license. This didn't matter. I said, <laughs> they said, is the damage on it? I said, yeah, all you got to do is see the damage on my truck. You'll know that either that or I just kept driving up against a brick wall, and I didn't do that. So um, we, and we took care of it. What, what, what occurred to me was that sometimes in life, you, you're not able to assess how to react or respond to things in life. Even though you may know intellectually, you know, when, in moments where you feel frustrated or things are going wrong or you're dealing with hardship, and you, and you, you, know, this, you know about joy, right? You know that you have the capacity for joy. You know that God's like, you, I want you to be joyful and all. But in those moments, you're not feeling the joy. You know what I'm saying? And so when you get past it, you begin to think about it later and you begin to analyze and say, you know what? What am I going to do about that? What can I do about that the next time? How can I respond differently? And I realized that life happens really fast for us, you guys. And sometimes you're just driving down. Nobody's trying to do anything to you. Before you know it, something happens like that. Now we have a choice. I'm going to get really angry. I'm going to say, I can't believe you. I, I, but what if I, and I, and I'm going to, and, or you can say, you know what, sometimes, sometimes when you're driving down life, things happen. And it's not because it just, they happen quickly. I hope that one of the things today can, you can just realize that joy is a choice. You just got to stop think sometimes, what do I have control over? And what do I really not have control over? Joy is always something we choose. I'm not so much trying to convince you of that as I am putting that in your mind so that you can contemplate that today, tomorrow. Joy is always something we choose. There's a verse I want to share with you. It's short. It's to the point. But it's one of those things that while I believe joy is always something that we choose, it's not always something that I have practiced moment of confession. What's the verse? It's 1 Thessalonians 5.16. It's one of the ones we just, we read by. It's two words in the Greek. It just says, rejoice always or be joyful always. Now, do we believe that? Yes. Do we think it's possible? Of course. But always, that word always is one of those words that bothers me. Because while I may believe that something is possible, I kind of secretly wonder, is it always possible? Anybody there with me? Always? Like, when I made the statement that joy is always something we choose, it bothers us because always can't be measured. It's not a beginning or end. It's always. When should I be joyful? Yep. <laughs> Honestly, I'm inclined to argue with God on these points, because the, but the heartbeat of the follower is, that is, is one of joy. And somebody says, well, I'm just not a joyful person. I mean, that's fine. Repent. But if you say, somebody goes, be joyful always. What, but what, why didn't he say be grumpy always? Because then you'd be successful and you'd be arrogant about it, I guess. I don't know. You're like, well, well I'm awesome at being grumpy. That's, that's true. And now you need to be joyful always. But joy is an aspect, is a fruit, of, is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit comes whenever we are focused on God and the Holy Spirit lives in us. Part of the fruit, a part of it, there's peace, uh, uh, love, uh, um, joy, kindness, all of those. But joy is an aspect of that. It's not that we try to be joyful. It's that that is a result of living 
with God and walking with God. Does this make sense? Because then he is the source of our joy, not me trying to get joy. You know, you never walk by a tree, a, a healthy fruit tree, and hear it grunting, trying to make fruit. Like, you walk by and you go, what is it? The, the tree's like, I'm working hard over here, trying to get some fruit. No, if the tree is planted and there's soil and, there, and there's light and there's water, what happens? There is, you have fruit. Fruit is the result of something else. So I'm not telling you today, go be happy. I'm not telling you that at all. What I am telling you is joy is always a choice. Basically, the source of joy, as you heard earlier in the service, is God. And he instructs us, I want you to be joyful always. I want you to rejoice always. God will not run out of joy. You don't need to say, well, you know, I'm kind of sparingly using the joy of the Lord. Now, he's not going to run out. To rejoice always, you have to be able to see the hand of God in whatever is happening right now. You have to be able to remain confident that God has your future well in hand. It, it, it's all going to turn out just fine. Without that conviction, it's just not possible to be joyful when you're hurting. It, when you're struggling or when you're facing affliction or suffering or, or death, it's not possible. The key is that word always. It's when Paul said, listen, I mean this literally, rejoice always. That's very personal. Rejoice always. You're like, but my, my life just took a hard left turn. I know. But joy is going to soothe over a bunch of stuff that's going on in your heart right now. But I'm not, I'm not looking forward to the holidays because of this or that. Yeah, I know. But, but joy can be with you that, that entire time. We've got to remember that we have a part in this joy, and we're the ones that are commanded to be joyful. It's a choice. Joy is a deliberate response that focuses on the grace and goodness of God. And this is important. Joy is not something that happens to us. It's something that happens in us. I'm going to say that again. Joy is not something that happens to us. It is something that happens within us. You know, sometimes you see someone who makes a choice, like they're under hardship, and yet they have a sense of joy about them. And you wonder, why didn't I think of that? I remember seeing um, uh, an, a, a news report after this last Halloween. I saw it probably a month or a month and a half ago. And um, a news reporter had a video from one of those that was taken of a little trick-or-treater from a doorbell. You know, they got these doorbell uh, videos. And so, yeah, this is a good story, though. I mean, most of them are like, oh, they stole the, the Amazon Prime package. You see, that's why you should shop early for Christmas so that you don't. So, but this, they, they have a, they've captured a picture where you have a little 12-year-old has her um, a bag of candy, and she comes to the door, and the people aren't home. They've just left a little pumpkin out there with candy in it. So they just trust the kids to get some candy and then walk away. She looks in the uh, pumpkin, and it's empty. There's no candy. Now, what would you do? I would just walk away. I would walk away, and I would let all the other kids know, um, it's a loser house. <laughs> Keep on moving. I don't know what happened here. But uh, clearly, yeah, this is not a place you want to stop. This camera captured this 12-year-old girl. She looked in there, and she turned a little bit, and she thought a minute, and she, she set her bucket down. 
And then she knelt down. She took two hands full of candy out of her little box. And then she, she looked in and she put her candy in that. And then she picked up her bag and she walked away. Now, I thought, I saw that, and I, I thought, well, I didn't know that was legal. <laughs> Lady that was watching it with me said, uh, my kids wouldn't have done that. <laughs> and I said, oh, that would have never entered my mind. But it entered a 12-year-old's mind. And sometimes we read scriptures like, rejoice always. Why doesn't it enter our mind that sometimes when we get to a a thing or a place in life and it's empty, it's time you have joy. And you can stop for a minute and say, I'm going to, let me reach in here. It never occurs to us. That's what it means. And I'm not really preaching at you as much as sharing with you where I have blown it. I'm like, Slow down a little bit, because oftentimes the experience of joy just is regarded as being dependent on outside circumstances over which none of us has any control. The implication of Paul's statement is simply that joy depends on our relationship to God. And that's why I said joy is always something we choose now, it's not helpful if you're, not, if you're in a grumpy mood for somebody to come along and say, remember that sermon? It's, not, it's unhelpful because that, that drains my joy. You understand? But this is something where I'm asking you to just to consider, that, write it down or j- just get your head around that joy is not just for the season and joy is not for the moment and joy is not when things are going right. Joy is a choice, and it's deeper, and it influences so much about our life, and I remember teaching one Wednesday night years ago, and I was teaching on joy and some other things, and and the power of how God has built us and put us together, and I said, listen, church, you are literally one thought away from joy, and it struck me. We always are one thought away from joy. Someone might think, well, that may be true, but it doesn't feel true because sometimes life doesn't treat us very well. And I made a list of of ways that life doesn't treat us well, and I have one of my friends in mind for each one of these things. Sometimes life hands us financial devastation. I'm not talking about losses in the marketplace. I'm not talking about losses in your retirement. I'm talking about financial devastation. And I think of a friend of mine, they kept their joy. I'm thinking about becoming ill and a friend of mine who was told she would never walk again, never lost her joy, not because she heard a good sermon about it, because she believes deeply and never lost her joy. Divorce, like life is over. Oh, it's over for what you expected it to be, but it's not over. And I'm thinking of my friend who hasn't lost her joy, developing a chronic illness. And there's not a cure. I mean, unless God heals outright, you'll live with this from now until you meet the Lord when you will be made perfect. 
and yet there's joy. Being disabled, I have several friends who live their life from wheelchairs and it's not been all their life. It's just been part of their life but still they have joy. Death of a loved one, adapting to growing older. See, that's, I put that there for me. Like my mind says, ooh, you're 25. Go get it. Go get on the ball court. Go, and my body's like, uh, you know what? You need to just be thinking about joy. <laughs> and not, anybody else with me? But, but you're just adapting. Joy is a conscious decision to be happy. It's having a sense of contentment in the moment despite life's circumstances. Now, what do we know about joy? I believe that we know that joy comes as original software when we are born. What happens over time is that we begin to develop viruses, if I can put it this way, like your computer does, viruses that go against the simplicity and the power of God's word. If God says, rejoice always, he must mean he created us with the ability to rejoice always. We may, have, we may have damaged that ability, but it's still there. We may have viruses, thought, negative thoughts, doubts, fears. We have ambivalent lifestyles. We've got all kinds of stuff, and I don't have this a whole sermon that I could preach, but we, we just, we're, they come in and we say, well, I believe this over here. I, be, I believe it. I agree with it, but I don't live it. Agreeing with truth is not living truth. It's not the same. I agree that if I work out daily, it's not the same as getting to the gym. And when I'm at the gym, I agree that I should use the machine and not just walk around. It's not the same as So all that being true, you can, let me finish out Luke chapter 24, and then we'll, we'll wrap this up. So good. Luke chapter 24, he concludes this way, verse 50. When he had led them out to the, to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. All right. We started in joy at the birth of Jesus Christ. And Luke ends with joy. They had joy when they realized that God is powerful, that God's word is true. As next steps, I would tell you three things. Number one, if you're not already a person who gets up and reads the scripture every day or in the evenings, whenever it is that you read the word of God, I will tell you that the antivirus protection for your mind is the scripture. And you don't have to have a lot of it. You have to have some of it. And you have to be able to meditate, think on that, and just ask God to give you insight into that. And I know that I think that you have a reading, uh, um, a folder that you can have here at Core Faith. If you need one, you can get one in the uh, foyer as you leave. As a next step, I would also uh, tell you this. One thing you can do is choose to believe God. Just believe him. Stop talking. I teach this to leaders all the time. Sometimes we want to, we talk our way out of believing God. While we're we're trying to talk ourselves into believing God, I'm like, just stop talking. God's said enough, and just believe God and read the Word of God and just say, Lord, help me to understand what it is that you're communicating to me. First Corinthians two nine comes to mind. 
No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. That means that you have never seen, no matter what you have seen, how wonderful it is, you have never seen anything to compare with the marvelous things that God has prepared for those who love him and who put their trust in him. It means that you have never heard anything to compare with the amazing wonders that God has laid up for those who follow his teachings and live according to his spirit. That verse alone, that's one verse. It means not only that you have never seen or never heard, but you have never even imagined what he's going to do for you. If that doesn't make you joyful, it's powerful. Another thing that you, a third thing that you can do to respond to this message and just to keep joy flowing through the holidays is, I know that sometimes we're with people who we love and sometimes we're with people who we want to love. And sometimes we're with people who are very difficult and that's why we're only with them through the holidays. It's a rule. You understand? But one of the things you can do during the holidays is just tell yourself, I am going to serve. I'm going to serve. Don't get in a deep conversation with, with uh, Uncle So-and-so. Serve him pie. <laughs> it sounds funny. I'm being serious. Just get up and say, I am going to, you know what I'm going to do this holiday? I'm not going to complain because the scripture says do everything without complaining or grumbling. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to serve. I'm going to get up, and if I don't have something nice to say, I'm not going to say anything at all. But I am going to serve. So do these three things. And I think joy, you'll find that joy is more present. Number one, just read the word of God. Read a little bit every day. Meditate on it. Carry it with you. Just think about a verse and scripture through the day and see how it applies. See how God brings that to mind through your day. Number two, just believe God. Believe him. Meditate on the scriptures because what he has prepared for you guys is amazing. Apparently because we have nothing to compare it to. And then finally, just decide you're going to serve. Serve. Throughout this holiday, just look for ways to serve. Be the, be the one who stands. Be the man of the I was last night at a party, and when I was done with the party, I'm talking about and tie and cufflinks and all that kind of stuff. I, you know, I'm, I'm, cleaning, I'm cleaning the kitchen. One dude walked in and said, what, did they, did they turn you into a woman? I know, right? And I'm like, um, well, if that means being a servant, yeah. My point is this. My point is I'm awesome because I served. <laughs> My point is this. It's not complicated. It's just not. We complicate it, but it's not complicated. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you will bless the people in this congregation. Bless us as we serve you together. Father, the joy we've talked about today only is possible because of you. Father, we give you thanks. I pray that in each of our lives, in each of our families, in each of our homes, in the gatherings that we are in over the next several weeks, that you will be present. And I pray, Father, you'll help us to serve those we are with. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, and all who agree would say, amen, amen. amen.